What we are doing uh, is talking about relationships this semester. We're going to continue our conversation tonight. Um, we said at the beginning that um, the quality of our life is best measured by the quality of our relationships. Our relationship with God, with ourself, with others, with the world. And that these are all relationships that Jesus has come to make good, right, whole again. Um, the relationships that are broken by sin, but God in his grace has come to make us whole, uh, to restore us, to renew us uh, in his image. Tonight, I want to talk to you about a, a relationship uh, that I think a lot of you um, are interested in. Um, it's the dating relationship. Uh, but before I dive into um, our discussion, I have two disclaimers. Uh, the first is that the Bible actually says nothing uh, about dating. So in one sense, we could probably just pack up our stuff and go home, <laughs> just call it a night. We're not going to do that. Um, but uh, dating as we know it just isn't referenced uh, in the Bible. It's a fairly modern phenomenon, this thing that we do, this modern dance called dating. Um, it doesn't really appear uh, as a thing until like the early 1890s, early 1900s. And because that's just the case, um, the Bible doesn't talk about it. Well, the Bible does talk about love. It talks about how we are to love God, how we're supposed to love our neighbor. And those principles certainly inform our understanding of what it means to love and what it means to date well and to date wisely. But you're not going to find 10 rules for dating uh, inside of the Bible. It's normally at this time that we would open up the Bible and I, we would read a passage and I would try to explain it as best as I can, speak to you authoritatively from it. Um, but it's hard to speak authoritatively on a subject that the Bible just doesn't talk about. And so we're not going to start that way. We are going to open up our Bibles. This is going to be a little bit later. So just a caveat. Um, this Wednesday Night Fellowship is going to feel just a little bit different in that regard from others that we've done. Secondly, the second disclaimer, second caveat, is that um, dating is not something that I was very good at. Eventually, I met and married my wife, Megan, over here. The woman I'm talking to about dinosaur cookies, that's my wife. Uh, we're talking. That's why we're having that conversation. Um, but the happy ending to my dating drama has more to do uh, with God's grace than it does my dating expertise. Um, I have messed up so many dating uh, relationships, uh, and I was on course to messing up our dating relationship uh, as well. Megan was on course to messing it up too. Uh, but both of us brought bad habits. Uh, we brought baggage into our dating relationship, into our married life. Which is why if you study it, that's to study our relationships, if you were to study us, you would see some things worth emulating, but you would also see some mistakes that are worth avoiding. All that is to say is that my fitness um, to talk to you about dating has nothing to do with my dating expertise because there is none. Uh, it has really everything to do with God and his grace. Um, as I have said before, he really is in the business of making broken things whole and of taking broken, messy lives and making them beautiful and right and whole again. Uh, that's true of, certainly of my story. I think it's true of yours too. And that is the reason why I can stand uh, before you tonight and to talk to you about a subject that, frankly, 
holds a lot of guilt and shame for me. Um, it's because of who God is and it's because of what he has done and is doing and is going to do still in my life and I believe uh, in yours as well. So those are my two disclaimers, right? the two caveats. You with me? Okay. Tonight I want to look at dating um, under three headings. What is dating? Let's define the relationship. Right. Two, how to mess up a relationship really quick. And three, what do we need in order to date well? So what is dating? Let's define the relationship. How you can mess a relationship up really quick. And how do we date well? Before we do that, I'm going to pray and just ask for God's Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for bringing us together. Um, thank you for feeding us good food. Thanks for Willa and for the cookies she made. Um, thank you for these students and how you are at work in their lives. I pray as we dive into this discussion about dating uh, that you would help us to be attentive, um, that you would speak through me, even as I'm not preaching from your word right this minute, that what I would say would be good and wise. Anything that is helpful, I pray, would stay, and anything that's not would fall quickly away. Um, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that are ready to receive and believe. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What's dating? Okay, let's define this relationship. Sociologists will tell you that every healthy relationship has one clearly defined rules and expectations. We might call those boundaries. And two, the relationship has behaviors that are consistent with its definition. We would call those behaviors sort of inbound. On a sports team, it's not uncommon for teammates to high-five or to chest bump or to butt slap a teammate when they do something good on the field, maybe score a touchdown or a goal, whatever. But if you were to take that behavior that makes sense on the athletic field, makes sense with teammates, and you were to import it into your classroom, and you were to do that with maybe a professor after you get a good grade, <laughs> it would be awkward. If you were to high-five, chest bump, butt slap your professor, it's not just going to be awkward. You're going to be in trouble. Right? There's going to be problems for you. Relationships work when the lines are well marked and understood, and they go sideways when the lines get fuzzy or crossed. The problem is, is that very few people know what dating is. And because they don't know what it is, they don't know how to act in the relationship. What's the most common question at the start of a dating relationship? What are we? That's, Cassie's right, right? The most common question is, what are we? What are we doing, right? There's a need to define the relationship. When I was a college student, we literally called that the DTR, right? We, we have to have the DTR, define the relationship talk. Um, I think it's worth reflecting for a moment how two people even get to the point where they need to have the DTR conversation. What are the stages in a relationship that get us even to that that phase. We might call the first phase the spark. Right? The first stage in a dating relationship is the spark. 
It's the first time you really notice somebody, and this can happen anywhere. Traditionally, it might be a friend's house, a party, maybe a sports game, intramural sports game, cafeteria, library, here in RUF, all retreats, summer conference, getting pizza. I don't know. Something happens where you do like a double take, where you see somebody and you're like, huh, and they do the same thing with you, right? A more modern sort of approach, this sort of double take, this spark, this noticing happens online, maybe on social media. It could be an online dating app, Tinder, whatever, right? Like there's an encounter that causes you to notice somebody, to swipe right. Maybe it's the way they look, maybe it's the way they dress, they talk or they carry themselves. Simply put, there's a spark. You notice them, they notice you. The second phase or the second stage is sort of this warming up phase. Mysteriously, you're ending up at the same party, right? Coincidentally, you're like in the library together, like working on homework at the same time. Isn't that weird how that happens? Right? You're secretly stalking each other on Instagram and Facebook, and you're just really hoping you don't accidentally like that picture from 2013. That would be weird, right? You don't want to get caught. After this goes on for a little bit, people start noticing that you all are kind of warming up and spending a lot of time together. They start talking to you, and they start talking to their friends, and they're asking, hey, what's going on? I notice that you've been hanging out together a lot. You don't know what you are because you haven't had the DTR yet. So here's what you say. You say, we're talking, right? Culturally, we've actually created a new title to describe this phase, right? It's the we're talking phase. Like, what are you? We're talking. We're unofficially official. This finally brings us to the fourth stage, the formalization phase, the the DTR, One or both of you gets tired of explaining to your friends and to your roommates and to your mom and to your dad and to your grandma that you're just talking or we're just hooking up. You're probably not saying that to grandma, right? Uh, So you have the talk, right? What are we? Like, what are we doing here? Do you like me? Do I like you? Do we want to make this thing exclusive? If you're on the same page, you emerge from the DTR as a couple, right? Who are we? We're dating. We're a couple. And once you have this word, it's official. It's a thing. And along with this sort of formalization, you get some new titles. Boyfriend, girlfriend, some fun new titles. You get to start to spend uh, a lot more time together. You start buying each other Christmas presents. You meet the parents, you start talking about your future lives together in just ways that you hadn't before. But this is where things get really confusing. Because on the one hand, you've had the DTR. I like you, you like me, let's see each other exclusively, right? And that feels like a commitment. I actually intended that to run. That was (laughs) not right? Um... That feels like a commitment. But what you actually are is not a commitment for the simple fact that the other person can leave this relationship tomorrow for any reason whatsoever. 
They can break up with you the very next day and do the exact same thing with somebody else the next day, and they're free to do that. And that's what makes this dating relationship so hard and confusing and difficult to understand. A friend of mine uh, and fellow campus minister, Matt Terrell, defines dating as your particular choice to be with this particular person at this particular time. Dating is your particular choice to be with this particular person at this particular time. It feels like commitment, but what it actually is is not a commitment. It feels permanent, but it's not permanent. All you've actually committed to is to like this particular person at this particular time. It's not real commitment. Because you haven't stood before friends and family and vowed never to leave no matter what, you know that in the back of your mind that this person is free to leave at any time for any reason. They can end the relationship for the simple reason that you like chunky peanut butter and they like smooth. And you might think that's ridiculous, but they have a right to break up with you for that reason. Right? It's what makes dating hard. One of the best um, modern movies on dating is the film 500 Days of Summer, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe Deschanel. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays the role of Tom Hansen, who falls in love with a girl whose name Summer is played by Zoe Deschanel. Sparks fly when they realize that they have the same interests in music. They both work at this greeting card company uh, together. They hit it off, karaoke night. They like the same tunes. They start spending a ton of time together. They start hooking up. Uh, But they've intentionally avoided calling what they're doing dating. And Tom becomes increasingly frustrated uh, with the situation. And here's what he says to Summer. He says, look, we don't have to put a label on it. It's fine. I get it. But you know, I just need some consistency. I need to know you're not going to wake up in the morning and feel differently. And Summer says to him, I can't give you that. And that exchange between Tom and Summer, I think really captures the struggle and the confusion and the pain of the dating relationship. Another friend, fellow campus minister named Matt, comments that, and I quote, because there's no guarantee that the person you are dating is not going to wake up tomorrow and feel differently about you, the dating relationship has a baseline insecurity and fear just embedded into the thing. It is unavoidable. There is a baseline level of fear and insecurity practically hardwired into the dating relationship. This baseline insecurity fear that's built into the dating relationship makes us do all sorts of crazy things. It's why we analyze text messages the way that we do. Like, oh my God, there was only one exclamation point this time and there were three last time, like, are they going to break up with me? Right? Or, oh my God, last Friday we went out together, but this Friday he wants to hang out with the boys. Or this Friday, she wants to hang out with the girls. Are we about to break up? Like, we do crazy things. We act crazy, right? Rather than hold the relationship open-handedly, 
just realizing that this person is free to leave at any time. And consequently, we're just going to receive their presence in our lives as a gift with no claim, with no right. Instead, what we do is we tighten our grip and we hold on tight and we end up bruising and causing damage, right, to the relationship. And this brings me to point number two. How to mess up a dating relationship really quick. The surest way to mess up a dating relationship is to treat it like a mini marriage. You want to ruin your relationship, treat it like a mini marriage. Take all the, the, the behaviors and the expectations and the obligations of marriage and squeeze it into this tiny, flimsy relationship called dating. Right? The dating relationship cannot contain all of that. It's kind of like an anaconda trying to swallow an elephant. It's not going to work, and it's going to split the thing right open. When two people make a public, permanent promise, all of me, for all of you, for all of time, the relationship changes. That's called a wedding. It makes sense that it would, right? The wedding vows shifts the boundaries of the relationships. So that stuff that was out of bounds is now all of a sudden in bounds. Sex being one of those things. Problems arise and real damage is done, however, when two people who haven't made those promises start acting as if they had. Right? When they start acting as if they have a right to the other person's time. They have a right to the other person's body. They have a right to the other person's future plans. See, these assumptions and these behaviors make sense in the context of marriage, but they make absolutely no sense in the context of dating. Again, when you import behaviors that are incompatible with the definition, like chest bumping or butt slapping your professor, damage is done, right, to the relationship. And when you import all the behaviors and assumptions that are appropriate to marriage and you try to squeeze them into this dating relationship, Damage is done. I see a lot of this, okay? And I'm sure that you do too. Maybe it's as you look at your own present relationships or past relationships or just relationships of your friends. But here's what I see a lot as a campus minister at UVM. I see a lot of couples spending a crazy, unhealthy amount of time with one another. You are together so much that there is no time for other important life-giving relationships and friendships. And you're doing this out of fear and insecurity. You are afraid that if you do not spend 100% of your time with this person, they're going to leave. You should know that in healthy marriages and friendships, people don't act that way. In healthy marriages, husbands and wives are not spending all of their time together. We are not with each other. We don't have the healthiest marriage in the world, but we, it's good. We just don't, it's good, right? But we don't spend a ton of time, like that kind of time together. We, we don't spend 100% of our time together. And we don't ask or expect that, that, that we would. Like we both recognize that she needs time with other people besides me, other times for friends. That's really healthy. That's really, really great. She gives me the same, like the same liberty, right? That's a sign of health, right? 
demanding to be with somebody all the time, or demanding to know where they are every second of the day is a sign of dysfunction, right? Not health. I see couples um, that are terrified of conflict. They're afraid of being confrontational. You're afraid to tell the person what you really think or what you really feel because you're afraid of how they're going to react. You're afraid that they might leave you. You're afraid that that next fight is going to be the one that just ends it all. And so you hold back from telling the truth. You actually hold back from having the fight that you really need to have. You stuff your feelings down. You're dishonest. You're manipulative. You're passive-aggressive. You avoid having the talks and the fights that might actually make you stronger, that might actually make you a healthy, have a healthy relationship. And again, you need to know that healthy friendships and healthy marriages are not like this. People in really healthy marriages are not afraid to fight. They're not afraid of conflict. A good relationship is not, is, is not one that is devoid of conflict. A good relationship is one in which two people know how to work through conflict together in healthy, forgiving ways, right? And uh, that all harks back to what we talked about like last week when we talked about friendship, right? About forgiveness and speaking the truth in love, stabbing each other in the front so you're not stabbing each other in the back. Finally, I see couples um, giving way too much of themselves to the other person, especially physically. You feel like you need to glue yourself to the other person lest they try to slip away. You give more and more of your body as a way of trying to keep them in the relationship. You also do this because it's simply assumed that this is what dating people do. Dating people have sex is the assumption. And you don't want to look stupid. And you don't want to be called a prude. Right? You are afraid that if you don't have sex, the other person is going to leave. And listen to me. If your boyfriend or your girlfriend is going to leave you because you won't have sex with him or her, that person is worth leaving. Right? You have no right to be dating a person like that. They don't deserve you. Right? They're worth ditching. Again, you need to know that this is not what healthy relationships, healthy marriages look like. This is not how people function in a good relationship. The dating relationship is an exclusive commitment that's not really exclusive and it's not really a commitment. And if that's confusing, yes, (laughs) right? Dating instead is a particular choice to like a particular person at this particular time. Both people in the dating relationship are free at any time to change their mind. And that is scary, especially as you begin to fall in love with the other person and have more and more sort of feelings for the other person. There's no promise binding you together. Not yet. And that is why out of fear and out of insecurity, you try to transform the dating relationship into a mini marriage. But that's not going to work, right? It's only going to spell its disaster. 
So what are you going to do? And this really is point number three. How do we date well? The first thing to dating well is to honor the definition of dating. Know what it is and then have behaviors that are consistent with its definition. Essentially, what dating is, is two friends figuring out if they want to get married. And in the end, the answer is going to be yes or it's going to be no. And your wedding day is the only day when your exclusive commitment is actually going to become an exclusive commitment. Until that time, it's not one, right? That said, listen, you don't date people you are ready to marry. You marry people you're ready to marry, right? You date people that you may or may not want to marry, that you're not sure of, and you're dating them to figure that out. That's the whole point. And as you figure that out, as you're sort of learning whether or not this is someone you want to be with for the rest of your life, the way you really ought to relate to one another is as friends. And I would encourage you to listen to last week's sermon. You can do that on the RUF UVM website. But to listen to last week's sermon on friendship. Because everything that we said about friendship applies to dating and applies to marriage. Essentially, you want to marry your best friend. Right? You want to relate to your spouse in the same ways that you want to relate to a best friend. It's being constant and forgiving and speaking the truth in love and right, having each other's back. But let that reality like, sort of shape your behaviors and let it take some of the pressure off of you. Let it make you free to actually enjoy what can kind of be stressful. Right? Have fun. Let it take some of the pressure off. Secondly, don't turn your dating relationship into a mini-marriage. You have no right to the other person, and they have no rights over you. And when you treat each other that way, which is to say when you bring all the rules and expectations and obligations of marriage, and you try to cram it into the dating relationship, what you are pretty much guaranteeing is that it's going to end in a mini-divorce. Right? It, is, it is not helping the relationship. And when we treat our dating relationships like mini-marriages, we often feel like when they break up that it's like a mini-divorce. I know um, from experience that dating is really, really exciting, and it's also really, really scary uh, at the same time. And I know from personal experience the temptation to want to do that. Right, to turn the dating relationship into a mini-marriage out of fear and out of insecurity, right, as a way of having more intimacy and more security and more control. The question is, is there a way for you to, to avoid doing that? Is there a way for you to enter into these relationships safely so that when you do get scared and you do feel insecure, you don't clamp down on the thing, you don't clamp down on the other person and in so doing, like, bruising the relationship or bruising them? Like, is there some way of sort of mitigating this fear and mitigating this insecurity? And I really think that there is. And it's at this point that I really want to steer your eyes and your attention to Jesus and to hear what the Bible has to say. 
From Isaiah 43, 1-5, listen. But now says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, I fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Fear not, for I am with you. You are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my life and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 118, 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Break up with me? Kill me? I've got a love that's not going to let me go. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. In Joshua 1.9 Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I could read many more like it. But do you hear? Did you pick up on the theme? Fear not. You have a God who is with you and who loves you and who is for you who cares for you, who loves you, who redeems you, who's not going to let you go. Before you dive into your dating relationships, it's important that you know that. It's important that you let that sink in. Because this, right, the love of your God is what is going to get rid of that controlling fear inside of you. Right? It's the love of God that's going to give you the inner equilibrium and poise that you need as you enter into relationships that are a little bit unstable and insecure. It's the love of God that's going to enable you to enter into these sort of horizontal relationships with courage. Close with this. Before scuba gear, a scuba gear, scuba gear, before scuba gear uh, was invented, uh, deep sea divers would dive on one big gulp of air. There's this amazingly beautiful world beneath the surface that they could explore. Colorful reefs, sponges to collect, pearls, right, to enjoy. But also beneath the surface, it's dark and it's disorienting, and it's dangerous. You can literally die down there. Now, as long as people have been diving, there's always been two ways to dive. You can dive without a rope, or you can dive with one. You might think that diving with a rope would limit you, right? Because you're tied to something. 
But on the contrary, if you dive tied to a rope, you can stay down longer. You can go down deeper because you always know your way back up. When you kind of get lost or disoriented, you swallow that oxygen, right? Being tied to a rope means that you can always just walk right back up to safety. It takes away some of the fear, right? Paradoxically, you're actually able to do more and to see more, not because you aren't connected to something, but precisely because you are. And this is kind of how I imagine dating. I imagine dating as sort of deep sea diving. You see, there's this beautiful world out there, right? The world of relationships. And it's exciting and it's colorful and it's beautiful. But it also can be really dark and distressing and disturbing and disorienting, right? It can feel deadly, like I'm going to die. This is going to kill me. What's going to give you the courage to actually dive, to dive deep, right? To really enter into human intimacy and into deeper relationships and to take risks. I think the only thing that's really going to allow you to do that is if you don't dive alone, but you dive tied to something. You dive tied to someone, like tied to Jesus, connected to him, connected to his love, I really think that's your lifeline. So that when you're in these relationships that are dark and scary and beautiful too, and you begin to sort of lose your breath, or you begin to get afraid, you can just walk right back up that road, walk right back up that lifeline to the one whose love will not let you go. And once you've sort of gotten your air back there, you can go back in and you can dive in and dive deep again. Because As we've learned all semester long, it's really his love that is going to cast out fear and that we really are going to be able to love because he first loved us. So tie yourself to him and then dive right in. Let's pray.